even the mariners or those um, sailors who are in charge of, um, of running the products back and forth between continents, even those are going to be upset. Now, remember, they're only able to participate in this world system if they have the mark of the beast. Um, they are willing players in this beast system, in this world system, and they are going to fall with the world system. This is the longer um, subject here, the longer category of mourners, because it's every shipmaster, those who are in charge of the shipping industry and every passenger on it, um, and every sailor, every worker on it, and also as many as make their living by the sea. So this probably has to do with the idea of those who are involved with moving the merchandise around the earth, those who make their money on the actual transportation of these items, um, whether or not they're actually on the water themselves, uh, they are included in this lament, as many as make their living by the sea. Now, this does uh, bring up the question, how is anybody making a living by the sea? Since the second angel who poured out his bowl into the sea caused it to become uh, blood, not like blood, but it became blood, like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. So the question might be, how is it that they are able to make a profit, or how is it there is still any sort of maritime um, effort, since everything has been turned to blood? And uh, to me, that is a key question, and that's one reason why I say all of the bold judgments probably happen in a very short period of time, right uh, at the time of Armageddon. I think we have at most days between each one of these bold judgments. Um, it may be only hours. So while they are mourning the uh, loss of their, their sea highways, they are also going to mourn the loss of the hub through which their trade goes. And we see they also will stand at a distance. Um, once again, just like the kings and just like the, uh, the merchants, the magnates, uh, the great powerful men of the earth, bankers, all such, they are not standing visibly, physically looking at this happening. They are looking from all around the world, standing at a distance and watching the center of world economy fall. Uh, they are standing at a distance watching this happen in the same way as we here in Washington uh, sat or stood at a distance and watched the Twin Towers fall. Uh, we were not there in New York to watch this happen, uh, but nonetheless, we were around the earth watching it happen in real time. Uh, this is probably what's going on here. And so for me, there's no difficulty that Babylon itself has no great harbor. They are the world economic center and they still control all sea trade. I would guess by John's language here, either he means to include other forms of trade or sea trade is going to be the only or most reliable form of trade left in the tribulation period. And so they will stand at a distance and they will cry out as they watch the smoke of her burning. So once again, the primary cause of her destruction is going to be burning. As some speculate that this might be nuclear warfare, that's perfectly possible. Um, it is not a miraculous burning 
It is not a miraculous destruction in the same way as the various judgments from God are, because he puts it in the hearts of these 10 kings who are allied with the Antichrist to destroy it themselves. Um, so he uses human agency. Uh, it is very possible that he'll use nuclear warfare as his primary agency for destroying the city. And that would explain why it only takes an hour for it to be destroyed. In fact, it would be much faster than that, but maybe an hour until it's cleared so that they can actually send some cameras in there. And then their cry, what city is like the great city? This brings to mind the cries of the followers of the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13. I didn't include a verse here. Um, but when they looked at the beast who had been resurrected, and they say, who is like the beast and who can fight against the beast. And so as they're mourning, they throw dust on their heads, and they are crying out. Throwing dust on their heads would be a, a reference to Old Testament form of mourning, um, utter despair and desperation, um, often used especially uh, with the death of a loved one. Um, or the loss of all earthly things. Uh, we could think of Daniel, or not Daniel, um, David, who threw dust on his head and mourned in sackcloth while his son was dying. Or we could think of Job, who did the very same thing when all earthly possessions were um, lost to him, including his children. And they continue weeping and mourning. Now, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, we saw that when the Lord returns, his people, Israel, are going to weep and mourn uh, because they had killed or they had rejected and killed the Messiah. And so they would mourn over him. But here, the unrepentant world is weeping and mourning over their loss of their economic system, their great hope, and their God, which is the Babylon system. And so our last lament, the woe-woe of the maritime trade, they say, woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth. So once again, they are focused and concerned with their own well-being. They don't really care much for the city, only for what it was able to do for them. They don't care for the people in the city, only what it was able to do for them. Their concern is for, their, for themselves and not even for their means of sustenance, uh, but for their riches and their wealth. So it's their the loss of their luxury items that they are most upset about here. Once again, it is destroyed in one hour and it is laid waste. This uh, brings to mind then this verse which speaks to us today in the church age, uh, what we can draw as an application as we watch these or see these things in Revelation 17 and 18 these things that are going to come to pass in the future. Um, we see this word uh, from 1 John, all the more reinforced, which says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So this is the paradox here that they are the... Uh, the uh, great divider here that they are on the other side of. They don't have the love of the Father abiding in them, and so their love and their passion is on those temporal things of the earth that will not last, um, and certainly they see them all destroyed before their eyes. So we don't want to keep our hope on those things. We want our hope to be on God.